0: This morning's reading is from the first letter of John, chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you're strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. This is the mighty word of our Lord.
1: You are uh, so good, and uh, you are so deserving of all our praise, our glory, and all the honor. uh, Now, today, yesterday, and forevermore, we've got to thank you for uh, this opportunity that we get um, every Sunday to, um, to teach through a book. Of the Bible, to proclaim um, your excellencies. and uh, Father today um, you've got us in this um, this uh, parentheses, this pause between um, two exhortations and God it's a very a very familiar truths for Christians and God I pray that we would never um, become over familiar um, with the gospel truths that we are forgiven, and that we are in a relationship with you, and that we are strong in Christ. And I pray, God, that you would um, uh, strengthen us today, that we'd be reminded of your uh, kindness to us um, through the person of Jesus Christ, through his uh, perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection. So God, please uh, use me this morning, God, uh, as a crackpot. Uh, Use me, God, to proclaim your perfect word. And that we'd be reminded of the perfect love of our perfect God. We love you. We thank you that you loved us more. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good to see you. It's an awful quiet group for such a big group. Um, good, to, good to be here today. We are. Um, if you're new with us, we are teaching through the book of 1 John. Uh, this is a letter um, written by uh, one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And, um, and he has written this letter to Christians in the first century and to us today, Christians throughout all time, to assure us of our salvation, to remind us of our blessed salvation in Jesus Christ. Also, it's to uh, wake up um, those that maybe profess faith in Christ who call themselves Christians, but they have no, um, uh, no basis for that proclamation or for that belief. Today, we're in chapter one, chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. I've titled this sermon, a, An Important Reminder. An Important Reminder. When our children, we have three kids, were young, uh, when they were infants, toddlers, even into their adolescent years, it was important that they know that Daddy loved them. Uh, because I didn't always act like I loved them. You know, I loved them, but I made mistakes as... Um, most of you parents have. I know some of you are perfect, but most of you have made mistakes. I wanted them to know that they were a priority and that they weren't a bother to me. I would always do my best to be there for them. I wanted them to know that. When they were younger, we did most everything for them. Some of you young parents can relate with that. We fed them. We clothed them. We, um, we uh, bathed them. We wiped them. We basically kept them alive. And as they grew into their teenage years, um, we lengthened the leash a little bit. Uh, They'd been trained. They uh, started to know the difference between uh, right and wrong. And we let out the leash, if you will, and gave them more responsibility. And our hope was is that what we taught and we modeled to them when they were young would help them make wise decisions and keep them safe uh, when they were older. We hope that they would rely upon the imperfect foundation of our love for them and our teaching them. In life, there are important things to remember every day. There are certain things that we need to be reminded of um, every day. Um, when uh, when some of our, a couple of our uh, youngest grandkids come over um, and we have the fireplace on, um, you know, we just started turning it on again. Uh, my wife turns it on when it gets 88, uh, but but... We we just started turning it on, but and they hadn't seen the fireplace since last year, and they wanted, they want to touch it. So we had to remind them that if you touch it, um, you're going to get burnt. And then we constantly remind them we've got a uh, when we finished our basement, we created a little hobbit door. It's about this high that goes under the stairs, and we put a mailbox next to it. So when they come to Grandma uh, Grammy and Papa's house, first thing they do is they check the mailbox, and it's a constant reminder of our love for them. Um, Well, Nancy's a constant reminder of of her love for them. Um, I hung the mailbox, so it counts for something. (laughs) Don't want to give myself too much credit. You know, all of us remember words, do we not? Both good and bad. There are certain words that I remember um, from when I was young. Um, Words of affirmation and actually words of condemnation. Uh, They stick with you. Words are powerful. It's not true that— Um, Sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt you. Words will do the worst amount of damage. It's important to remember where we have come from and the reality of our experiences as we progress through this life. I've often thought about that, um, and I've I've got this idea from somewhere else, but that um, on an annual basis I want to make a video, just a five-minute, maybe ten-minute video to my family. To, to my wife and to my kids just to affirm uh, verbally uh, my love for them. Because one day I'll you know, be gone. I might, I'm probably going to predecease them. them. That's the odds. And to play that video so that they can, rather than maybe hearing the words of my mistakes over the years, they can hear these final words of, of um, who they are and how I see them and how much I love them. In this letter, as I've already said, John aims to bring blessed assurance of eternal life to all who profess faith in Jesus Christ. Um, There is no assurance of eternal life with the Father for those who do not profess faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. This progress as Christians that we're making between the point of salvation and our entrance into heaven, which is glorification, is to be lived with increasing love for God, increasing love for people, and increasing obedience, and might I say joyful obedience to God's commands. The chief end of man, as we've talked about, is to glorify God in what? Enjoy Him forever. Last Sunday... If you missed last Sunday's sermon, I would encourage you to pull it up on the website and listen to it. Um, It's a sermon that, it's a passage that profoundly affected my heart, brought great conviction upon my heart where John reminded us how we are to love others as Christ has loved us. And the love that he talked about was an agape love. It wasn't a a phileo love. It wasn't a a brotherly love. It wasn't a, a storge love. It wasn't affection. It wasn't an ergos. It wasn't romantic love. It was an agape love that we were encouraged to love others with. Because that's the love that God loved us with. And what that is, it's a giving love, not a needing love. That God created us to be loved by Him. Not because He needed anything from us, but He wanted us to experience His love. And so as I was just uh, even processing that in my own life, like, what does it mean? Like, do I love those, especially those that are closest to me unconditionally? Do I love them without expecting anything in return? And the answer was, well, you know, I'm in process, and I do it sometimes, and I don't do it well other times. Well, this last week, um, and I don't know if it's just because I get the privilege more times than not to open the Word on Sunday morning and I spend probably 15 hours in it before I do it, that God like, inevitably um, convicts me. He inevitably shows me um, <laughs> how much I need Him. This past week, after preaching upon um, love, and our call to love God and love others, um, I blew it. Not once, twice. And the wheels didn't just come off the track. All the cars tipped over off the track. And I'm going, what is going on? Like, should I even be doing this anymore? Like, I'm a, I'm a uh, you know, I just, I, 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 I preach a good game. I believe that God's word is sufficient. I believe that, that the power of God is in me to say no to sin. And then week after week, something happens. And I failed miserably at loving a couple of people that, I really love. So anyway, here I am, imperfect. All all of me in front of you. And I desperately want to love perfectly and follow perfectly a perfect God. We're all in process. When I sin, before I sin, I believe it's because I forget the reality of the past, what's been accomplished, the reality of the present, who I am in Christ, and the reality of my sure future hope. I forget those things. I need a reminder on a regular basis of what has been accomplished, who I am in Christ, and my sure future. You see, we can't make progress forward until we understand the reality of the past, the present, and the future. We can't make joyful progress until we're sure about the past and and sure about the future. And I need those reminders not only um, when I wake up every day, but I need those reminders after I sin. Because as, as Pat reminded us and as we sang the first song is that the enemy is a liar He's like a roaring lion, and he's looking to destroy, and the way that he destroys is through condemnation. And there's no condemnation, as Pat reminded us, for for those who are in Christ Jesus. So today, John interrupts his appeal. He interrupts his program for a special announcement that in verses one through 11, chapter two, he reminded us that we're to keep his word. He reminded us that we're to walk as Jesus walked. He reminded us to love our brother. Next week, in verses 15 through 17, he's gonna remind us to not love the world and to do the will of God. So this whole book is an encouragement to follow Jesus Christ, to obey his commands, to love him, to love people. But we can't do it if we have the wrong starting point. We can't do that if we have um, the wrong motives. So he interrupts this appeal and this encouragement to make progress in our Christian walk by reminding us of three foundational truths. Three reminders. And we're going to talk about them as we go through this. I'm going to give them to you right now. One is, they're simple, you're forgiven. Two. You are, if you know Jesus Christ, you are in relationship with the Father in His Son, Jesus Christ. And three, you are strong. We'll talk about that. Not not in a Joel kind of strong, but in a God's Word and Holy Spirit kind of strong. These three verses are are a pause uh, between the encouragement to move forward in joyful obedience that He uh, made in verses 1 through 11 in chapter 2, and he's going to make next week in verses 15 through 17. So in this book, he wants us to have assurance of who God is, who we are, and our eternal fellowship or communion with him. John is saying this. He's saying that I will, I'm going to pause And I'm not going to make another exhortation until he he is perfectly satisfied that we are agreed upon the basis and the fundamentals of who God is, what He's accomplished, and what our destination is. Let's jump into the passage. When you read uh, verses 12 through 14, and it starts off, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven, the first thought when we read this is that John is talking about children. But he goes on to talk about fathers and young men and children. And the reality, it's not about age, it's about spiritual maturity. That's who he's addressing. He's addressing fathers as those who are more mature in the faith. So many of you are fathers in the faith. You're more mature. You've been walking with Christ for a long time. Some of you are like children in the faith, where you have just come to Christ. You are new in the faith. That's not a negative thing, it's just a reality that you're a child in the faith. Most of us. And I would submit to you, all of us fall in this category some way, shape, or form, is that we are are the young men that he's speaking to, that we are maturing Christians. So there's immature, new Christian. There is um, more mature, been walking for a long time. And then there is maturing Christians, which are um, young men. So he's going to address this larger group, all of Christians, actually, in verse 12. He says, I'm writing to you, little children. This is not talking about um, young in faith right here. Verse 13, it'll talk about those young in faith. He's talking about all Christians. This is just an affectionate way that John refers to his disciples, to the Christians in the church. He's writing to all Christians, And it's going to answer this question for me, and hopefully for you. And that is, is what did I fail to be remember before the wheels fell off this week? And what did I fail to remember after the wheels fell off when I was tempted towards guilt and condemnation? Verse 12, I'm writing to you little children all Christians because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. The first reminder this morning is you're forgiven. If you know Jesus Christ, that it doesn't matter how big the sin is, how little the sin is, how long ago it was, the sin that you're going to commit next week, you are forgiven. And the the focus here in verse 12 is on the gift of forgiveness that brings all Christians throughout all time into fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. This begins the most beautiful, intimate, secure, perplexing, never-ending, defining relationship that we could ever ever enter into. That's forgiveness. That's the gateway into fellowship. The reality that we are forgiven of every past, present, future sin is in fact the doorway. It's not a past reality, it's a daily reminder. It's an amazing gift that changes everything, including our position or standing in God's kingdom. And it's understanding the reality of forgiveness that empowers us to move forward in freedom to pursue a life of joyful obedience that honors and pleases the Lord. The Christian, I'll say it again, is one whose sins are forgiven. Now, a Christian doesn't hope their sins are forgiven. A Christian doesn't pray that their sins be forgiven. You confess your sins. You agree with God that your sins are forgiven. But your sins are forgiven. It's a positional statement. And our certainty of this is not simply that we are forgiven based on an understanding of how, of of God's love for us, quite frankly. Let me me unpack this just a little bit. Um, he, He goes on to say, he says, I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven. He doesn't stop there. There's no period. He says, for His name's sake. Your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. Another way of saying it is that forgiveness is, you're forgiven on the account of Jesus' name or through Jesus. We're not forgiven because of some false, false hope that God is loving or God is love. Now, let me explain that. God is loving, and God is love. But the manifestation of that love is what? It's Jesus on a cross. It's God giving His only Son, and His only Son living a perfect life and dying a sacrificial death. So, forgiveness doesn't come through faith in God's love. It comes through faith in God's sacrifice, which is the manifestation of His love. And that's so important, it's so minor, it's so um, it's so subtle, but um, the church, the big C church, is that's, that's why we're going down the liberal road. Because God is love, and therefore if God is love, all things are permissible. God is love because he gave his only begotten son to die for you and I. That's what forgiveness is, is that, we're, that we're, forgiveness on the, we're forgiven on the basis of the manifestation of God's love. Our forgiveness is based upon faith in his finished work on the cross, trusting in his sacrifice for the payment of our sin. First John 1, 19, 1, nine said this, we saw this a couple weeks ago, if we confess our sins, if we agree with God that we're, that we're sinners and we need a Savior, He's faithful, and He's just to forgive us. He has the right to forgive us, and He's faithful to forgive us of all of our sins. In 1 John 2.2, 2, this big word that I got stuck with when your kids were in the service, propitiation, it says that He, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. What does that even mean? It means you're forgiven. It means that, that the Father, because He's just, needs to punish all sin. That God is just, and He's holy, and no one can approach Him when they, are, um, when they have a sin nature. So, propitiation means that Jesus took the wrath that we deserved upon Himself. He drank from the cup of wrath so that we would only have the cup of blessing to drink from. Every Christian needs to continue to be clear about this foundational truth. You are forgiven. Drink deeply that. Don't get tired of that. I'm thinking about, a, uh, thinking about an, an airplane. For some of you that, that fly all the time, what's the same announcement that the steward, what are they called these days? Flight attendant. Thank you. I know. I almost said the wrong word. Flight attendant. Got to be politically correct. Always. Is that, um, that in case of an emergency, the oxygen will drop down and you give it to your neighbor, right? No, you put it on yourself First. It's a reminder that you cannot cannot love anybody. You can't obey anything until you are able to have life and be reminded of that life that comes through forgiveness. So so that reminder is every day put on the oxygen mask and be reminded of God's forgiveness um, of all your sins that gives you life um, today and tomorrow. Do you believe that your sins are forgiven? That's the first important reminder. Second, is that you have a relationship. If your sins have been forgiven, you do have a relationship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. The gospel is not good news because we're forgiven. It's good news because we're in a relationship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Forgiveness is the doorway. Forgiveness is mandatory. It's necessary. But we are forgiven from from our sins so that we can be brought into a relationship with the triune God John pauses here in these three verses to remind the Christians that you and I are in a relationship with a promise keeping God who will never leave you to know God is to be in fellowship or relationship with him now and forever That God isn't just a he's not just a, a God to um, have a Bible study and learn more about that's, that's not the end of Bible study either The end is always relationship. The end is to know Him. Know, grow, and go. And the growing part is to know Him more intimately. And we do that through the Word in the context of God's people. Fellowship with God is the narrative of all all the Scripture. From Genesis through Revelation 21. It's the arc that connects all of Scripture. It's the melodic theme that runs all the way through. It's the big idea. It's the point of forgiveness, because of Jesus' perfect life, because of His sacrificial death, because of His victorious resurrection. We, by faith, are united in fellowship with the Father and His Son Jesus Christ forever. And right now, we can experience that right here on Earth. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait for our glorious homecoming when we're with um, God in the physical. We can experience that fellowship now. In verses 13a and 14a, he writes to those who have been forgiven for a long time, to fathers, to more mature believers, if you will he says it two times. I'm not sure why he re- repeats it two times. The first time he says, I am writing to you, fathers. The next time he says, I write to you, fathers. The first time is present tense. The second time is past tense. Um, if you want to study that and uh, write a paper on it, get it to me. You're more than welcome to do that. Um, all I know is when I see um, the author repeat certain themes, I need to pay attention. I need to pay attention. It's actually the art of great teaching is is repetition, and John is a great teacher. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I'm writing this letter of assurance to you, believer, mature believer who have known Him a long time. And when he refers to Him, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the one who was from the beginning, the Word of God who was with God and is God. Jesus' existence didn't start in Bethlehem. He is the God of eternity past. The longer that you walk in fellowship with the Father, and I've seen this, um, there's, there's a part of me that's tempted to this in my own flesh, but you can, you, can, um, you can start pumping the brakes a little bit. You can start pumping the brakes and go, you know, I did my time. I served in the church, I loved my neighbor. I really worked hard at obeying his commandments. But you know what? It's me time now. I mean, it's time for me to to live for me because one day I'll be with him. I'll get to experience um, fellowship with him um, in person. And John, I believe, is reminding more mature believers that today... Today is to to drink deeply of the daddy's perfect love and to be reminded that the father's love casts out fear, even fear of death, and that the father will carry you all the way through. The father who received you with open arms when you were done running is the same father who actually smiles upon you when you blow it once again. I had this picture this week when I blew it not once but twice um, like ugly blew it and I had this picture for a moment as the enemy whispered in my ear um, of a father pointing his finger at me and saying like that's that's, a, that's another strike and that's not our heavenly father our heavenly father helps us, helps, us, helps us up reminds us that we're forgiven and says let's just do it again so the first reminder is that you are forgiven. And by the way, I just got off my notes a little bit, and let me just clarify something. Um, in, um, in verses 13a and 14a, he's referring to fathers, more mature believers. He's encouraging the father to, um, that you know him, that you have a relationship with him who's from the beginning. And what I was just referring to is to new believers. He says, I write to you children because you know the Father, and let me just back up on that one just a minute. Um, if you're new in Christ, if you're, if you're just learning the love of, uh, the, love of the Father, um, you have an imperfect earthly father to compare him to. And so it's really important that John says to the young believer, to those who are children in the faith, he says, I write to you children because you know the Father, that you are in relationship with him. And he is a good daddy. And he is a daddy that gives good gifts. Yeah, he's a daddy that will discipline you when when you're out of line, but it's always out of love. It's never out of anger. There's no judgment left for you. He is there for you, young believer, um, in perfect love. He casts out, his love casts out fear. And he'll carry you all the way through. And he hears your prayers. So the first reminder is that you are forgiven. Second is that you do have a relationship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And then he gives this encouragement to Christians in verses 13b and 14b He's that are he calls young men. Those are maturing believers. Those are um, those of us that have not arrived. We're in Christ, but we've not arrived. And that would be all of you, by the way. In 13b, he says, I'm writing to you, young men. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm too loud. Oh. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Then he expands on that in 14b. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. You are strong, and you've been given the resources you need to love God, to love either others, and to live in joyful obedience to His Word. You are strong signifies continuous action. It's like keeping the mask on. It's a continuous um, source and supply of strength. It's not like the space shuttle giving believers an initial boost of power and then leaving us to fly on our own. It's also not, not like a defibrillator that gives a one-time, <clears throat> in it starts heart, but it's more like a pacemaker that gives us ongoing or continuous strength. Why can he say that you're a strong, believer? Two reasons. The Word of God abides in you, and you've overcome the evil one. The Word of God abides or remains in you. This speaks of the living word, and it speaks of the written word. His life is yours. His victory over sin, his victory over Satan, his victory over death is yours. The living word abides in you. His spirit lives in you to give you the power to say no to sin, to uh, help you move forward in joyful obedience with your eyes fixed on him, the author and perfecter of your faith. It's also the written word. That if if you are hungry and you start losing weight, and you're not eating, and otherwise you're healthy, what should you start doing? Eating. Thank you. Did you say that? Thank you very much. Come on up here. (laughs) I mean, it, it sounds crazy. It's so simple. But as we walk through our Christian life, knowing that the enemy prowls around, knowing that we still have a sin nature, knowing that we're still prone to sin, knowing that we have a good and loving God who loved us first and we're called to love Him in response and love love other people, and we find ourselves um, um, continually lacking joy, we find ourselves continually sinning or being brought down by other people's sin, and then we go, well, I haven't eaten. I haven't eaten in a week. I haven't eaten in a month. I haven't eaten in a year. How do you expect... To love God and love others and live in joyful obedience to His commands, joyful obedience to His commands, without feeding upon the very Word of God. That is um, freeing, it's not constraining. I mean, when you read this, hey, I'm preaching, I'm not, I'm, I'm in the same boat. When I'm not preaching, I'm going into a three-week um, session. Um, next three weeks, I'm not preaching. Watch this place blow up the next three weeks. The next three weeks, um, I'm not preaching, and, um, and I've got to remind myself of the very living Word of God to feed my soul. Because I'll tend to like step outside of it. And I'll step outside of it, and I'll find myself like a little bit down. I'll find myself a little bit um, quick to anger, quick to speak oh man, I feel malnourished. I'm getting a little spiritual skinny. And I pick it up and I say, God, I'm just honest with you. I'm I'm not hungering for this right now. But I know I'll die without it. Would you give me an appetite? Would you cause me to hunger and thirst for more of you? I want you to be the very life that I breathe. So you are strong because the word of God remains in you, and even if you don't feed on this, know that he will never leave you nor forsake you. It's not a condition. But boy, does it it enliven our hearts and enable us to love God and to love people and to love his commandments. So you are strong because the word of God abides or remains in you. And you are strong, number two, because you've overcome the evil one. Has anybody noticed that there's a battle going on out there? There's a battle going on inside us. It's called the spirit against the flesh. And there's a battle going on against the enemy. My wife and I were at a marriage conference. Here's family life today, whatever it was, when we were first married, and um, like we made it for the first set, through the first session, we went home and fought after that. But I remember in the first session, yeah, that was a long time ago. It was August, no it wasn't, it was. It was, like, it was a long time ago. I mean, we still fight, but not like that. But I remember the guy um, talking, he says, he says I want you, he, he brought us to Ephesians 6, and says where um, our enemy is not flesh and blood. Our enemy is uh, the, the darkness and the principalities of this world, Satan and the evil one. He said, look, look at your spouse. And he says, say, you're not my enemy. You're not my enemy. And like, so, so people are not our enemies, but we have an enemy. And the enemy wants to destroy us. The enemy can't destroy us, all. There's nothing he can do to um, take our salvation away. There's nothing he can do to prevent the church from moving forward. But he's a destroyer in the sense that he wants to mess with our fellowship with our Father. He wants to condemn us when we blow it. He wants to tell us that it's okay that God loves you so you don't need to obey his commands. There's a fight with sin, our flesh, and the evil one. However, we are strong. God's word abides in us and we have overcome the evil one. And even though we're not finished with sin, we're no longer under the dominion or power of sin or Satan. Get this, it doesn't say, look at your text, it doesn't say that you are going to overcome the evil one. It says you have overcome the evil one. That you have overcome the evil one. That he has been disarmed. His fangs have been filed down to nothing. He has no power. The moment that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, He abides in you and there is victory over the wicked one. No, it's not a complete and absolute victory, but it's a victory nonetheless. It's a victory in the sense that He's been disarmed. It's a victory in the sense that you have been transferred from his kingdom of darkness. He is no longer your king or your prince, and you've been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. So he has no more authority in your life. So let me get back to the theme of this book it's blessed assurance. And the way that we have assurance that we're in Christ is that we have an increasing desire to love God, to love people, and to obey his commandments. And why would he tell us that if he didn't give us the power and the strength to live that out? That we have God's word abiding in us and we have overcome the evil one. So what video are you playing in your head every day? What are you filling your head with? What reminders are you putting into your head? Remember at the beginning, I said, I want to I have a video. And some of you guys can hold me accountable to this. I've been wanting to do it for 10 years. I'm closer to death today than I was 10 years ago. But I want to play a video that reminds my family, my great-grandkids that maybe will never meet me, I love Jesus I love them and I was the best daddy I could be and I want you listeners of that video to follow hard after Jesus because he's the hope of the world what video are you replaying in your head every day here it is stamp it on your eyeballs you are forgiven if you know Jesus Christ every past present future sin You are in relationship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And you are strong because the Word of God, the living and active Word of God, abides in you. And the evil one has been disarmed. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Holy Word. Thank You, God, for Your... um, Um, never-ending patience and your constant flow of grace and mercy into the life of your children. And I thank you, God, that the only condition of salvation was faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And I thank you that by your grace When we were dead in our sins and trespasses, you made us alive in Christ Jesus. God, I pray that the uh, blessed reality that we are forgiven, that we are in fellowship with you, Father, and the Son, Jesus Christ, and that we are strong because the living and active word abides in us, and that the enemy has been defeated. God, I pray that those truths would just compel us, would compel us to want to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, to love others as you have loved us, and then to joyfully obey your good and perfect commands. So God, may we be a church that... um, that just uh, soaks in those truths. And I pray, God, as we put on that oxygen mask of those three reminders, God, that you would um, just use us um, to proclaim your excellencies to a lost and dying world around us for your glory and for the good of your blood-bought people. And it's in Jesus' name we pray,
0: amen.